everybody, welcome back to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff, and joining me, as always, from our Seattle studio is my buddy, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? Oh, man, it's uh, it's nice to be here, where I've been for days and days and will be for days and days. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. I'm, I'm glad it's nice there. I am getting ready to uh, turn on the air conditioner here. But uh, again, um, I, I guess I would rather be hot than uh, be stricken with a virus at this point. So yeah, good point. We be thankful for small things like that. So let's, uh, Mark, let's jump right into our BP segment. I have got nothing, uh, nothing to ask you if you'd rather talk about. Uh, at this point, I don't think we even need to put up the pretenses. We want to talk about baseball. Uh, it's something that everybody's missing right now. That's right. As we get into the middle of April at this point and still no baseball on the horizon. So I had a couple of quick things here in our BP segment before we get into the main part of our show. Uh, I will tell you this, that we have got a great main part of the show. We have got Lansing Lugnuts play-by-play announcer Jesse Goldberg Strassler was nice enough to drop by and talk some just some really great baseball stories that you want to stick around for. He is a encyclopedia of baseball knowledge and baseball lingo. So that's a lot of fun. But before we do that, let's warm up. I have got a couple of things here. First of all, I'm going to put a link in our show notes uh, to a Instagram account that everybody I encourage to follow. Who is this you, you're asking us to follow, you might ask? Who, who? It is Henderson, the diabetes-sensing dog. <laughs> of course, I could have guessed that. <laughs> but this caught my eye uh, because his name is Henderson. Oh. And, you know, I've been known to search for the last name Henderson, first name Ricky. This is a, a, a working dog that has been trained to sense when his owner is you know in danger of going into diabetic shock his name is henderson he is named after the one and only ricky henderson and he has got custom made jerseys that he wears that are green and gold with the number 24 and the name henderson on the back wow it awesome. is so awesome. I was so excited for to, to see this. Now, I've seen pictures of Henderson uh, down in Arizona at spring training. I do not know where Henderson makes their home. I'm not sure I feel comfortable trying to figure that out. But if I find out somehow that they're in the Bay Area, I might need to meet up with them at some point. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, I've got a I've got an old Ryan fact for you, Mark. Oh, let's hear it. So Nolan Ryan struck out a lot of batters, as you can guess. Yes. Uh, Nolan Ryan, after setting the career strikeout record, still struck out 2,205 batters after setting that mark. There are 83 pitchers in the Hall of Fame, 50 of which have less than that total in their career. (laughs) Wow. Just a freak of nature. Yeah. No By the way, that's 5,714 strikeouts. That is a lot of Advil that he popped yeah. after those games. And then he's ready to go another nine innings. <laughs> he certainly is. Um, so I wanted to uh, jump into our debut segment. We're going to kind of shut B- uh, 
we're going to kind of cut BP short because uh, we had a lot of fun and we ran a little long with Jesse, but I want to make sure that everybody hears all that. So we're going to jump right into our debut segment. This podcast is debuting on April 14th. Now, last week, we had a lot of guys that were kind of contemporary Hall of Famers that made their debuts. This week, complete opposite. We're going to jump back in the Wayback Machine, first of all, to 1913. And Jim Thorpe made his debut with the New York Giants. Now, of course, Jim Thorpe is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame as well. He has been described as the greatest athlete of the first half of the 20th century. And just, I mean, he did everything well. He also played professional basketball. And he won Olympic gold medals in 1912 in the pentathlon and decathlon. And I think we've talked about that before. We have. It's an insane number of, of, of events that he participated in to do the decathlon and the, and the, was it the pentathlon? The pentathlon and the decathlon. Yeah. Yep. So that's, I mean, that in itself is all kinds, you know, events. And then he, he did some individual ones. I, mean, I The guy was a ridiculous athlete. He was a beast. He played six years, though, in the big leagues as an outfielder and was what he wasn't a great baseball player. But just the fact that he was doing that and playing other sports professionally and he's Jim Thorpe is incredible. But today he made his major league debut. He went 0 for 1 as a pinch hitter as the Giants took on the Brooklyn Superbas. Good to know. Next. Next, uh, Lefty Grove made his debut this day. He made his debut against the Red Sox. He went three and two-thirds innings, gave up six hits, four earned runs, and walked four and did not strike out anybody. Lefty Grove, though, led the American League in wins, strikeouts, and ERA in 1930. He then won the pitching Triple Crown the next year as well, becoming the first American leaguer to put back-to-back Triple Crown winning seasons together. He was also named the MVP in 1931, and he was the first pitcher to do that, to win that award. Wow. And then he went into the Hall of Fame in 1947. Next, we've got Scooter made his debut in 1941 for the New York Yankees. Holy cow. Holy cow. (laughs) is right. Phil Rizzuto. He went 0 for 4 today versus the Senators. He was inducted in 1994 into the Hall of Fame. He was the league MVP in 1950, and he won seven World Series rings as a player. Wow. That is something. Uh, He also lost three seasons while he served in the Navy, 1943 through 1945, and beyond being a legendary Yankee player, he was also, as you made uh, mention there, a Yankee broadcaster, an incredible Yankee broadcaster, which he and Harry Carey always kind of differed as to who came up with the holy cow. That's right. Uh, Next, 1962, Gaylord Perry made his debut today. Against the Cincinnati Reds, he went two and two-thirds innings, gave up five hits, four earned runs, and struck out one. You have told a great story in the past about uh, Gaylord Perry and his manager Alvin Dark saying that they'll put a man on the moon before Gaylord Perry hits a home run. And lo and behold, July 20th, 1969, just before Apollo 11 
carrying Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon, Perry did, in fact, beat the deadline and hit his first career home run just hours before that historic moon landing. I believe it was his only career home run, too. So nice (laughs) timing. What better time to do it? Uh, opposing manager Gene Mock at one point said he should be in the Hall of Fame with a tube of KY jelly attached to his plaque. <laughs> so true. Gaylord. Yeah. So he, he admitted that he he every now and then would load up a baseball, but he didn't do it that often. But he did all those crazy movements just to put it in everybody's mind that he was. It was a, it was a mental game and he was quite good at it. He used to drive uh, Reggie Jackson nuts with that stuff. <laughs> So Gaylord pitched until he was 44. He ended up with a 314 and 265 record. He won the Cy Young Award twice in 1972 and 1978. And his brother, Jim Perry, won the Cy Young Award in 1970. And he ended up with a 215 and 174 mark. So over 500, well, 529 wins combined between the two brothers. That's impressive. That is very impressive. Uh, Gaylord was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1991. And our our final debut I wanted to mention today, on this day back in 1966, Don Sutton made his debut. He went up against the Astros. He threw seven innings of ball. He gave up seven hits, two earned runs, struck out seven, but he took the loss in that game. He did go two for three at the plate, though. So helping out his own cause. He, he may have taken the loss that day, but he won 300 plus later. So it's okay. 314 to be exact. Correct. Uh, Don never spent a day on the disabled list. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> never any pitch forever. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, he went 314 and 265. His nicknames. Now I'd never heard of either of his nicknames, black and Decker, or also he was known as the mechanic. And uh, I, I had not heard of either of those. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1998. He, likewise, like Phil Rizzuto, was and is still a great broadcaster. He is back once again with the Braves. He was there when I was working for the Braves. And a uh, little bit of pop culture trivia. He appeared as a celebrity panelist several times on the match game between I, 1976 I... and 1981. I saw one of those recently. I hate to admit it. I was on the game show network. And sure enough, Don Sutton, that very first seat. Oh, I love the match game with yeah, Gene Rayburn and that like eight foot skinny microphone that he used to hey, have. Right. And three words, Charles Nelson Nelson O'Reilly. Yeah, <laughs> that's good stuff. But uh, boy, I love Don. I, you know, in a lot of uh, press boxes throughout baseball, after the game is over, there is generally beer available for uh, for the press if they want to come in and have a drink. Uh, when I was there in Turner Field in Atlanta, they also always had bottles of wine open and ready to go because Don Sutton is a connoisseur of wine. Nice. So they made that available for him. A couple of other debuts that happened today, I'm just going to, I just want to mention because of their names. N- not, not really anybody of note that I'm going to mention, but we've got names like Baby Doll Jacobson. Cupy Pennington, who played his first and only game on this day in 1917. Lou Blue, which is an awesome name. Uh, Moose McCormick. Peanuts Lowry. And finally, Rip Rapulski. 
Oh, also man. Made their you sure Rip Rapolsky wasn't a professional wrestler? <laughs> I, that is now my professional wrestling name. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. That's great. <laughs> Rip Rapolsky. Maybe we'll do a deep dive on Rip one of these. That'd be nice. All right, so uh, let's get to our final segment of BP here. I asked you a trivia question last week. The question was, which pitcher has the most career pickoffs? I gave you a clue. Really, you didn't even need one. Uh, and what what was your answer again? I believe I said Steve Carlton. There you go. Lefty had 146 career pickoffs. That is a lot yeah. of pickoffs. That is. Now, the, the number fluctuates uh, by two or three going up and down, uh, depending on where you look. But uh, that is by far the most in Major League history. So congratulations. I think that's the first question. Uh, trivia question that has successfully been answered. So thanks for pointing that out. Uh, so let's give you. I'm going to give you another trivia question that I will give you the uh, the question today and the answer. We will wait till next week. So my trivia question to you this week is: Who is the only player to play for both Los Angeles-based teams, the Dodgers and the Angels, as well as both Bay Area teams, the Giants and the A's? Oh wow. Now, this is, I will say, this guy played in the 80s and 90s. Okay. So, a little bit of a time frame there. I will also give you this hint. He was once involved in a trade for Ricky Henderson. Ooh. Okay. So. All right. That, uh, that, that to me, is a giveaway, but I realize that not everybody is familiar with all of Ricky Henderson's career <laughs> transactions. <laughs> you so. don't think so? <laughs> All right, so that is uh, that's our trivia question for today. Let's uh, bring the grounds crew out, let them do their stuff, and let's get on with the rest of the show. So our guest today caught our attention on Twitter by helping fill the baseball-less void by sharing some stories that either he had witnessed or heard throughout his time in the broadcast booth. Literally the exact kind of stories we like to share every week here on this show. He is Ballpark Digest, Minor League Broadcaster of the Year for 2019. Welcome, Jesse Goldberg Strassler. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's fun to meet kindred spirits. Uh, Baseball can appeal to so many different people in what? In stats or in uniforms or whatever it might be, walk-up songs. And I'm glad that I've met folks who also what appeals to them is the stories in the game. So Jesse has made a couple of stops through your through your career, but you have been the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts since 2009. They are the Class A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays and by far one of the best uh, named teams and also, you know, one of the best logos on a hat. Speaking of logos. Because they've been around so long, I wonder if people take our name for granted now that other names like the Rocket City Trash Pandas have come along. (laughs) And did you have a kind of an alternate identity through this last season at one point? Well, you mean for Copa de la Diversión? Exactly. We were the Lansing Locos because with the lug nuts, we want people to go nuts. And with the Locos, we want people to vamos locos. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our first question here, this is a baseball history podcast. Our first question to everybody is always before we we get on too far is, can you just give us a sense of your history with baseball? Kind of your first game, your favorite team growing up player? I grew up in Greenbelt, Maryland. So there was no major league team that was uh, 
baseballs throw away, but my father would drive me to go see uh, the Orioles play at Memorial Stadium. And we would always get lost because Memorial Stadium was in this residential neighborhood. So you make the wrong turn and you find the ballpark by the third inning. And then (laughs) I was there the very first game that they played at Camden Yards, an exhibition game against the New York Mets. But we had taken the light rail in and the last light rail leaving uh, meant that we had to leave the ball game in the seventh or eighth inning. So I didn't even see the end of that game. Meanwhile, we're watching minor league games play at our local team is the Bowie Bay Sox, double Mm. A. And we'd drive up to see the Frederick Keys and shake our keys, the Hagerstown Suns. So that's how I, those were the ballparks that I grew up going to see. And I grew up listening to the Baltimore Orioles on WTOP every night. And who was your I, an Orioles fan? I'm taking a wild stab. You might have been a Cal Ripken fan, but who who was your guy growing up? I was an enormous Alan Trammell fan. Oh, nice. Oh, you'll fit in well here. <laughs> so I was a shortstop and second baseman. And somehow in my seven-year-old, eight-year-old mind, I decided that the very best middle infielders in baseball were Trammell and Whitaker. And even though Ripken played down the road, Alan Trammell was my guy. I became an Alan Trammell super fan, and I had everything that I possibly could of him. And because of that, I was an enormous Detroit Tigers fan. Excellent. Now, normally I I would ask a broadcaster about the strangest place that they have ever called a game from. I believe I know what your answer is going to be doing having done a little research on 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 you and your career but can you tell us where the strangest place you have ever called a ball game from while i was at ithaca college doing postseason football the ithaca college football team had made the d3 tournament and they were marching through and taking on i think it was montclair state because we were in new jersey so this was across the street from the stadium in a stairwell that the players used to get to their locker room So we echoed like crazy. We had all the broadcast teams jammed into this narrow stairwell. If you can picture a landing from one flight of stairs to the other, you had the teams coming in and out constantly. And we're using our binoculars to desperately see the field because we're so far away. (laughs) So I see now, maybe I didn't do enough prep for this because I was thinking that this was going to lead us into something that you do that Mark and I have talked about. Mark and I actually both know a broadcaster that used to still do this for road games. You once a year do an incredible thing that harkens back to the old days of baseball broadcasting where you recreate a game without actually watching it. I appreciate it. Uh, It's so this uh, I can start in two different directions. The first direction is I was the intern for the Brockton Rocks. They're number three. So I did the pregame, postgame, the call-in show, the media relations, writing up the game notes. And the team president was a man named Jim Lucas, a former broadcaster himself. Jim suggested, among all the other different things that we were doing to try to promote the team, why not try to do a throwback game recreation broadcast. So in 2005, myself and the number two broadcaster, or really our second number one, because we had two different number one broadcasters on two different flagship stations. So Matt Miola sat beside me in the studio. They sidelined the other number one broadcaster, Dave Raymond. 
And Matt and I passed notes back and forth to each other, and we used sound effects, and we recreated the game. And then three years later, in 2008, I was forced to recreate a game because a terrible thunderstorm had come through Chicago. I was with the Windy City Thunderbolts, and the only way to broadcast that game was to recreate it from the stadium front office with my intern sending me everything that was going on in the game, messaging to me, and I, I'm slamming my mini bats together and patting a ball into a glove for that to be a no-hitter. And then since then, 2009 onward with the Lugnuts, I decided this was important to keep this tradition alive, that every single time that August rolled around, I would pick an August day because it was in August that Harold Arlen did the very first broadcast on KDKA, and I would recreate a game. And it's been very difficult, and it's been embarrassing at times because you never know if the messaging system breaks down, if the internet goes down, if I misread what the messages are, and now I've got a two-out sacrifice fly that I need to figure out how to call. <laughs> but every year, that's my that's my personal tradition, is recreating a live Lansing Lugnuts game. Uh, I've got one one comment on that before I let Mark jump in here. I, I'm wondering when you do these recreation games, you, you just get a message or a note that says double or something like that. Do you ever recreate something just off the wall? Kind of remember Jerry Coleman, a, an announcer for the Padres, had this great Jerry Coleman was just classic anyway, but he has a great call where he, he kind of leaves some information out. So the call ended up being, you know, Winfield goes back to the wall. He hits his head on the wall and it's rolling off. It's rolling all the way back to second base. Do you ever throw something just completely crazy like that in there? Do you know that misspeaking of Jerry Coleman, right? It's Father's Day. And he said to all the fathers out there, happy birthday. <laughs> Jerry Coleman misspeaking. Didn't he also have a pitcher throwing up down in the bullpen? He did. Up, he's throwing up in the bullpen. Yes. Throwing up in the bullpen. I say things like that on a nightly basis because when you talk three hours, you say things that you don't understand how they sound until people look at you and say, did, did you realize that when you were talking about his heavy sinker, that you just kept on complimenting his heavy balls? <laughs> <laughs> so, so things like that, they slip out. And Jerry Coleman's not alone. But once a guy gets that label pinned on you for listen for misspeakings, then you can listen for a lot. If a broadcaster escapes that reputation, we can get away with saying just very embarrassing things that we don't understand until it slips out. But... <laughs> <laughs> because so I'm separating that from when you can't see anything and you can just use your imagination and imagine you're looking at a game cast. And so it says, or even the play by play of the game log, if it says single, that single could be anything. Even if it says single, the center field, it could be a blooper. The center fielder might try to make a diving catch. It might be a line drive that rips off the pitcher's glove. It might be a slow roller up the first baseline that the catcher charges, bare hands, whips around, fires, and just barely didn't get him. The batter beat it out by half a step. It really is up to you to have some fun with. You know, I just when you were saying that right there, I believed it was happening, man. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, I think it's important for a broadcaster to see it. And so even if I can't see it, I still have to, you can put it in quotation marks, see it in my mind's eye. So if there's a pitcher on the mound, I have to help you, the listener, understand what he looks like when that left knee is drawn up to his chest or that arm comes rocketing forward and he brings it toward home plate from right next to his right ear, whatever it might be, his brown hair curling out from underneath his cap. 
if I'm not making it vivid for you, then I'm not doing my job. And what the Gamer Recreation Broadcast emphasizes to me each year is I need to get more visual the very next day when I'm actually seeing the game. I need to tell you, here's what this batter looks like as he steps up to home plate. Because as a kid, I would try to imitate every batting stance. So seeing a stance is important or seeing what the players are looking like as they lean across the dugout railing, whatever it might be, it's on me to convey that information to you. Jesse, I'm just curious, when you first started wanting to get into broadcasting, calling games and so on, um, did you model yourself after anyone else? Or maybe a better way to ask this question is to say, um, if you were to watch a baseball game or listen to one on the radio, who would you like to hear call it? Let me take the first question and then the second question, because I have two different answers. Um, Let's take the second question first. My favorite broadcasters to listen to call a game right now. I love John Miller because he was the voice of my childhood. And I love how his humor could sneak in there while he's calling the game. I always think whoever you grow up with or whoever is the familiar voice. In general, you lean toward that person because they are familiar. Familiar voice is so comforting. Uh, I love listening to Dan Schulman call the game because I think that he has such command of his voice. He knows exactly when to let the game breathe. He knows exactly when to tell a story. He does something where the first batter of every Dan Schulman inning, he'll call just the batter. He'll let you know what happens. But when the second batter comes up, now he's got something that he's going to want to tell you, a story, something that he found interesting. And he'll keep on talking about that during the third batter. So over the course of an inning, it feels like it's so much quicker than you really believe because he has made it so easy. Batter, story, batter, and it's done. And it's beautiful rather than those broadcasters who let the entire inning breathe and you never learn anything. Or those broadcasters who try to fit in too much and you feel too crowded as you try to listen to them and comprehend. I think Ben Wagner too does a really marvelous job in the way that he describes things. I love the words that he uses. That's your second question, but quite frankly, there are so many good broadcasters out there. I can't begrudge anyone for choosing their taste. It's like trying to choose a great song. I like a lot of songs. But for your first question, so I have a new baby right now who's three months old, and it occurred to me as this baby is starting to make noises that when the baby talks, talking is very much going to be shaped by hearing me, hearing my wife, hearing anyone else that this baby hears speak language. So I think cognizantly going into starting broadcasting, trying to be a broadcaster, deciding this was what I wanted to do, it begins with me just trying to talk and me trying to explain and not actually consciously doing an impression of a broadcaster. But because I've learned how to broadcast by listening to broadcasters, that every young broadcaster, and sometimes more than young, medium age or older age, we're all doing impressions of whoever we love and whoever shaped our love of listening to baseball being broadcasted. That makes sense. I like it. So, Jesse, one thing I've learned uh, listening to your your clips on on uh, Twitter and I've seen some of your calls on YouTube and so forth is and you've mentioned it a lot in the last couple of, of answers is the descriptive words that you use. And I, I mentioned to you before we started that I have a book, I've had a, a book for a while called the baseball thesaurus. <laughs> and then I saw you on Twitter and I realized 
two and two together, you wrote this book. And this book is incredible because it has got, uh, it's kind of a glossary of baseball terms, but it is just an exhaustive uh, <laughs> list of, of words that you can use. And I can see how this is just perfect for you. You must use this all the time. You've got 20 words of how to describe a base, how to describe a good throw, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I mean, it, I'm so excited to talk to you because I've read that, read through that book and used some of the antidotes and words on this very podcast. So I also wanted to, to get that out there to everybody that you are an author as well as the football thesaurus, which is the same thing for football, I'm, obviously. I'm honored that you own it. I'm honored that you are familiar with it. I started writing it. I started compiling the lists because when I started broadcasting baseball, I realized that I wasn't talking the language. Um, I took Spanish for seven years. I can say hola, I can say que está pasando, I can say certain things, but my vocabulary is so limited that I couldn't really have a conversation. And so when I started broadcasting baseball, my vocabulary was limited. So I still have people who ask me, what should I say for this? What should I say for that? And my answer to them is, I didn't write the book because I'm an expert. I wrote the book because I wasn't an expert because I didn't know how to talk the game, even though I loved the game so much. So it really developed from that is me saying, let me think about baseball language. Let me think about all the different ways that people talk the game through the years and through ever, whatever their backgrounds might be. Well, it's a great book, and we'll make sure to put a link in our show notes to where you can grab that book as well, because it uh, it's a great read. Thank you. Um, so you spend in the minor leagues. Do you, do you you are on bus trips with the team? I have to assume. I have an assigned seat on the bus. Nice. So you spend a lot of time on that bus, I am sure, um, as well as just with the players on these road trips, days and nights at the ballpark. I, have you ever been fined in kangaroo court? Twice with the Lansing Lugnuts. Once with the previous team. Uh, with the the previous team. Apparently, they decided that one of the things I had said on air, um, I had pronounced it in too proper a style. And they told <laughs> me that I needed to learn how to speak too casually. Um, I think I said something like facade, and they didn't like that at all. <laughs> With the lug nuts, I got fined twice. I got fined for being a disrespectful teammate because a player uh, drew a walk, and I said, that's his eighth walk of the year. He has struck out 80 times. He's got a ways to go. <laughs> bad teammate and then i got fined um uh, each of these fines by the way a dollar i got fined because the coaching staff invited me out to dinner and i showed up wearing sweatpants <laughs> <laughs> well don't worry mark is the only one that gets fined on this show so you're, yeah. you're completely safe <laughs> even even if jeff screws something up totally he finds a way to put it on well, me if, so if I, you I don't catch my it. screw up i'm gonna find you yes yeah yeah exactly <laughs> may i share a kangaroo court story oh please please there are tons of these because kangaroo court is great and so every single kangaroo court gives you 20 30 40 stories whatever it might be we had a player bring a suit against a teammate for a dollar saying that the teammate was being too loud during a game when he needed some sleep. <laughs> so the player who was being brought uh, before the judge 
called a star witness and they call in the manager and the manager shows up and the player says, why was I being noisy? And the manager said, because we needed some energy out there. And the judge says, being disrespectful of the manager and the player who brought the original suit, they doubled the fine, $2. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised just bringing a witness didn't garner a fine of its own. (laughs) Well, sometimes you need to bring in that extra perspective and that turns the tide. <laughs> That's true. What about pranks? Can, can you are, are there any pranks that you can tell us about that you've seen? Yes. Okay. So uh, this this I heard secondhand from another team. They stole one of their teammates' phones during the bus ride, long bus ride, and they changed one of the players' numbers on the team. Uh, they changed his name in the phone to Dave Dombrowski. <laughs> <laughs> then they put the phone back in the player. The player oh, woke up. He had five text messages from Dave Dombrowski saying, I know you went to college with this guy. We're looking to trade for him right now. What do I need to know? Give me everything you got. <laughs> so the guy was looking around and going, oh, my God, Dave Dombrowski needs my opinion on this. What can I say? What And his teammates are like, well, should we trade for him or not? What do you think? <laughs> so they had him going for a while during that bus ride as Dave Dombrowski kept on firing questions at him. <laughs> it's the subversive jokes that are the best ones. I tell you what. How, who are some of the better ball players you've, you have uh, gotten to call a game while watching? Uh, some of your or maybe the most memorable or, or uh, some of the best ball players you've seen. When I was in the AA Southern League, I was with the Montgomery Biscuits. So we had Evan Longoria on our team, in addition to a number of guys. And I remember specifically Evan Longoria taking on a guy pitching in the Arizona Diamondback system coming up for the Mobile Bay Bears. And uh, his nickname was Maximilian, we had heard, because maybe it held out for more money. And now we were going to get a chance to see this first rounder, Max Scherzer, on the mound. And we're going, uh, let's see this guy. And him against Evan Longoria in double-A was such a wonderful battle to watch as Scherzer's sawing him off and Longoria's trying to figure out what pitch is coming next. That's the fun of it. When you see true quality in the minor leagues, it doesn't hide. Billy Hamilton on the bases, you couldn't stop him from scoring. You just understood he couldn't get to first base because if he was at first base, he was going to steal second. Your catcher was going to throw the ball into center field, and then he was going to be (laughs) third with nobody out. Let's see. Uh, Mike Trout was playing for the Cedar Rapids Colonels, and Trout in a series, I think we got him out once or twice, but he in – he, he dropped down a bunt single. He stole two bases. He crushed a 450-foot home run or something like that. That's really been a pleasure, has been being able to see the very best talents currently in baseball on their way up through the minor leagues and seeing just how much better they are than everybody else around them. Beyond that, you've got, I, I mean, we mentioned uh, you, a uh, Blue Jays affiliate. So that's Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio. And then I had completely forgotten that Noah Syndergaard was at one point a, a Blue Jay. And did he play in Lansing as well? He sure did. Wow. Uh, we had him when he was a teenager, first at the end of 2011 and then the start and all of 2012 when he had short hair. He didn't have the Thor line. <laughs> Bo Bichette, by the way, crystallized for me what it means to be a good hitter. And I wish that there are other hitters who understand this as well as him. He would go into a game and he would simply say, how does a pitcher want to pitch me? 
And once he'd figure out the game plan against him from that pitcher or really from the entire team because the pitching coach is talking with the catcher and the pitcher and they're game planning every single batter. He would then say, all right, this is their scout against me. Now, what do I need to do to combat that? And it was fascinating to watch him taking notes and then saying, all right, here's my counterattack. And if they weren't ready to adjust to his counter, they were toast. He hit 384 with us. He had above 420 in the month of June. And it was wonderful to watch. He would go 0 for 5 and there would be five hard outs because he understood how the other team was pitching. That's impressive. I like that approach. Um, the, so the Scherzer Longoria was a precursor for many battles to come in the future. That's pretty cool. Oh, just uh, a delight. We had Clayton Kershaw was in the league pitching for Jacksonville. Scherzer with, was with Mobile. I thought that Homer Bailey, when he was coming up through the Cincinnati Red system, the fastball exploded out of his hand, and yet he never captured the same ceiling that was forecasted for him. Right. I remember I, the. Real quickly, I remember seeing Felix Hernandez in AAA, oh, yeah. and he was just so ridiculously dominant. The uh, players from the opposing team would walk, they'd be walking back to the bench after a strikeout with a smirk on their face. Like, <laughs> wow, that was impressive. Uh, I've never seen anything like that before. So I know what you're saying. That's, uh, that's really cool. There's a pitcher in the Dodgers organization now coming up to the major leagues. Dustin May has wonderful yeah. long red hair, right? Great yeah. hair. He does. That man after my own heart right there. Dustin May was taking on the Lansing Lugnuts, and we got guys on against him. And then he got Bo Bichette, and he got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in a row. And after the game, I went into the Great Lakes Loons uh, clubhouse, and there was Dustin, stoic, talking to a coach. And the coach was looking him right in the eye and said, Dustin, if you can get out Bo and Vladdy like that in a spot like that, you're going to be in the major leagues. So I just want to congratulate you right now. <laughs> That's cool. So I, you don't know this about Mark, but Mark was uh, was a ball boy or a bat boy. I, I never know what to call you, Mark. I, I, I don't, I don't either, want, I don't want to offend you, but he was a bat boy for the Tacoma Tigers and Tacoma Rainiers. And uh, I asked him one time, I, I said, what's, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen during a minor league game? And his answer was a car came crashing through the outfield wall in the middle of the game. So no now, I, I've got to ask you the same question. What is the strangest thing you have seen during a game? It wasn't a car. That's sensational. <laughs> yeah, it came about halfway through. the You hear this bang, and then there's the, the hood of this car sticking through the left field wall. No lie. Oh, my gosh. It was We've awesome. Had- a skunk delay is a skunk to- uh, stole second base in Dayton. That was a boy. <laughs> and then the skunk tore for the outfield, and all the players said, you can have as much leeway as you need. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think I shared this elsewhere, but it's still a wonderful story. The missing pitcher, the pitcher who is locked in the bathroom. Oh, man. That's great. Uh, that that we're ready to go to the bottom of the ninth inning. And wait a second. There's no pitcher. And nobody knows where he is. And the manager refuses to go to the bullpen because he wants to keep the pitcher in the game. Except they can't find him. And they hear the banging down the tunnel. It's the pitcher locked in the bathroom. <laughs> did they have to, did, did they get him out? Or did they have to bring an axe? How they, how, what happened? They called the fire department. And there were two sales guys 
Both former football players who threw running shoulder blocks and knocked the door down 45 <laughs> minutes after he was locked in. <laughs> well, I hope the umps at least treated it like an injury and gave the, the incoming pitcher all the time he needed. Uh, no. Umpires no. <laughs> were not that considerate to bathroom emergencies. If there was another emergency, maybe, but not for this one. They ordered, and so the manager had to bring in a new pitcher, and that new pitcher got through the bottom of the ninth, and in the bottom of the tenth inning, he allowed a walk-off homer, and then Mobile all got on the bus, and they sat there and they waited on the bus until somebody got their teammate out of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, so – Anybody that has worked for a minor league team has inevitably done a job that is certainly not listed in their job description, pulling a tarp, putting on the mascot outfit, selling tickets. What is, uh, what's the favorite thing you've done besides calling a ball game? The favorite thing that I've done? Oh, man. Because in general, it would be things that would be the opposite, right? Although... I do my job in order to broadcast each night. And so that really does mean all other duties as assigned. Uh, I could tell you about being a boxing kangaroo for the Brockton Rocks. <laughs> Brockton is the city of champions. It's Rocky Marciano. It's Marvelous Marvin Hagler. So our Ooh. mascot was a kangaroo who had boxing gloves on. And we had a, a client sponsorship deal with, I think it was our local Walmart, um, where... I dressed up as the boxing kangaroo and I hawked margarine. Um, <laughs> we went around to different places that sold country crock. And there I was holding country crock in my boxing glove hands and tried to convince people to buy it. It was it was really a trip and a half. I are don't there, know if I sold any margarine, but it was wonderful. Are there pictures? Not that I took. There was no <laughs> kangaroo. Other people might have taken those pictures and shared them with their family. But I've never seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you you call games for the lug nuts now, but you mentioned you used to call games for the biscuits. Yeah, I was a Montgomery biscuit, two thousand six and two thousand seven. That's another amazing baseball nickname, the biscuits. You can't go wrong there. How much? How did you enjoy your time at uh, with the biscuits? Oh, it was great, and we served biscuits. We had biscuits <laughs> in the press box every single day with the pregame spread, so you could. Sop your biscuits with gravy. You could have your biscuits with syrup. The other thing about Montgomery's Riverwalk Stadium is out beyond the left field wall, left center field wall. I don't know if you are aware, there's a train track because the stadium used to be an old train station. And so the number one broadcaster is a man named Jim Toko. Great, great broadcaster. Everybody knew him. Everybody understood Jim Toko and calling Montgomery Biscuits games. We're calling a game and the train that is going out beyond the left field line stops. Now there's constantly a train passing by the ballpark. The mayor, when the stadium first opened, offered a thousand dollars to any player who hit the train with a home run. And then after a player on the other team, the Huntsville Stars hit the train with a home run the very first game, the mayor quickly said, no, only Montgomery Biscuits, you're ineligible. <laughs> of course. So here comes a train out down the left side and the train stops. And Jim looks over and he goes, well, we got a train, maybe the conductor. And he says this on the air. I bet the conductor's watching the game. Here's the pitch. And the train sends out two loud blasts. <laughs> and Jim says, that could be the conductor watching the game. Let me hear you again. 
and here come more blasts. <laughs> Are you listening to the radio? Here comes another one. So I love things like that. We we won the Southern League Championship, and a police officer stopped us driving back from Huntsville. Pulled us over, saw who we are, said, we're the Biscuits. The police officer said, tell me you won tonight. And we said, we got the championship. He goes, all right, and send us on our way. <laughs> Finally, baseball can be bigger than people understand. Here, I'll uh, tell you yeah. one more story about that. I was in Montgomery, and I'm Jewish. I can't broadcast baseball games in Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. So it's Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year. I begged out. It's the Southern League Championship Series, but I'm sorry I can't broadcast. And I'm sitting in the synagogue as we're going through the service when suddenly a guy on his way by me suddenly bends over and crouches down and goes, Biscuits winning 6-1 in the sixth. <laughs> <laughs> now, d- forgive me for, for not knowing all the Jewish holidays, but didn't Sandy Koufax miss a big a big game for for a similar reason? Yes, and the story goes that Don Drysdale started in his spot, got ripped apart, and as he was leaving the field, the fan shouted out to Walter Alston, bet you wish Drysdale was Jewish too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny that you mentioned the biscuits because uh, just last week I asked Mark, what a one of his go-to baseball hats was and he mentioned the south bend silverhawks because he yeah. liked the logo and then we because he said that we looked it up we see they're now the south bend cubs in the in the same uh you know, they play the lug nuts what and i mentioned that you know the lug nuts is a great uh, a great logo it's a great name a great hashtag lug life on on twitter I saw that. Uh, what is your all-time favorite minor league team name or logo? I want to go back. Mark, you love yeah. the Silverhawk with Swoop, the Silverhawk hat, or you enjoy the Studebaker Silverhawk hood ornament? I uh, I never saw the hood ornament. Man, that makes me want to buy one, though. <laughs> well, they're named the Silverhawks because in South Bend, Indiana, that's where Studebaker made the Studebaker Silverhawk. I was not aware of that. That's awesome. And then... They affiliated with the Cubs, and one of the agreements that they had to make in affiliating with the Cubs was they had to change any, everything and become a Cubs team. I wanted them to become the South Bend Holy Cows. And then you could oh, honor wow, Harry Perry, and you could have a mascot as a cow with a halo. Oh, yeah, Chick- there's all kinds of stuff you could do with that. Chick-fil-A oh. would have been all over that, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, my favorite team, mascot, logo, everything like that, I love the Jamestown Jammers. I love the grapes. They're grapes? They, and I don't think they they exist any longer, but look up the Jamestown Jammers. I, I remember that name because I, I, I used to have that poster on my wall that had all of the minor league hats. Yes. And, and I loved it. So I know a lot of these names and, and I never knew what Jammers was in reference to. And if they're grapes, I still, I still don't know. <laughs> well- grapes can be turned into jam oh that i got it now so you can stomp down on those grapes you can it it shows purple grapes all in a bunch holding a baseball bat wearing a green cap and looking with a glower at whoever its opponent might be i am your see now this is how good you are your description there i just remembered what it looked like from that poster and now it's all making sense see he's a true professional Describing things is what he does. My favorite team name, and once again, it's because of what they represent, 
it's the Winston-Salem dash because Winston and Salem are two affiliated cities. They're two separate cities that have partnered up to combine to represent this minor league team, this entire area. And the dash represents the hyphen between Winston and Salem. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So is like the, is the, um, Scranton Wilkesbury rail riders, is there a rail system between the two cities that can, exactly. that connects them? I'm pretty right. It has to do with the trains. Do you know about the Altoona curve? Speaking of trains. I don't. The legendary curve that trains had to travel. It's not a curveball. It's pulled this up on Google images. Just type in Altoona, the curve, the train, and what a curve for trains to have to make their way along this track. Really sharp curve. I'm looking it up. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right? It's a horseshoe. And that inspired a baseball team. That is a big turn. (laughs) So what? What, let me ask you this one. So we, we've we've hit that you uh, you take these bus trips. What is your go to movie on those bus trips to get you through? Oh man, um, I will watch anything and everything that fits a certain genre. Um, so at one point, one season, I took along with me all sorts of baseball movies, and I rewatched The Natural, for example, or I rewatched Sugar or A League of Their Own. Uh, I own a lot of DVDs. You can make fun of me because I still have my CDs. I still have my cassettes. um, And so I will go on a bus ride with all of my DVDs and I will watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia season three. (laughs) I will watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One trip, I watched all the Lord of the Rings movies. It's not one movie because there's so much time that you spend on a bus that you just have to continually fill your time. And it's better to have your mind challenged by something that maybe you don't remember so much. I don't think there's a day that goes by in this house where we are not singing about Dayman and Nightman yes. and whether he cometh. That's for karate and friendship. <laughs> and karate. It's, it's all there. <laughs> hey, Jesse, you've probably seen some pretty cool and interesting and maybe even bizarre promotions. In your time, um, like I can think of, we had uh, in Tacoma, we had what they called the chili dip. And if you got chosen, you had to jump into this hot tub filled with, I don't know, it was like chili and water and anything else gross you could think of. And if you found the keys, you could you got a chance to go to the finals and win a, uh, win a lease of a truck for a year. <laughs> uh, that was the prize. So that's the weirdest one I've seen. How about, have you seen anything completely bizarre? That's so good. The Lake County Captains had, and I don't know why they discontinued this, a funeral home sponsored, and I forget the name of it, but let's just say dead or not dead. And they'd name a person and the contestant had to say, are they dead? And if you won the contest, you got a discount off your next funeral. (laughs) Off your next funeral. So they're looking for return customers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's great. So I was looking over some of the names of uh, former managers. I love to look at the coaching staff of not just minor league teams, but major league teams, because that's where we, we, uh, Mark and I worked together at the Mariners, and we would just look at the names of 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 coaches as they would come through. And I saw the name Saul Fasano managed in Lansing one year. And I love Sal Fasano because at 
every every time I've ever seen him, he looks like he could have been like a middle reliever in the mid seventies. Who 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 have you seen? Who's been on? Who's got the best hair? The best just overall <laughs> hair look of the Lansing Lugnuts with your time there. Let me tell you about Sal because he's got that great Fu Manchu. Mm -hmm. We were in Dayton, fifth third field, and Sal paused in the midst of going through everything pregame with the players, looked into the stands, and there in the stands is an usher with a Fu Manchu. And Sal points at the guy, and the guy nods, and Sal nods. Sal looks back at the players and he goes, We get each other. Wow, he he could have played Clue Hayworth, Haywood, Hayworth. <laughs> yes, Clue Haywood. Yeah, <laughs> he would have been perfect for that. So, with regards to great hair, we had a pitcher by the name of, and I, I'm going to get this. Here it was, Boomer Potts. I want to make sure I got it right. <laughs> Jared Potts, but he was nicknamed Boomer because he was born on the Fourth of July. Mm. Suddenly showed up one day at the ballpark. And his hair had been shaved on the sides and spiked at the top into a dyed red mohawk that honestly must have been two feet tall. And it lasted maybe two minutes before a coach saw it and sent him right back to the hair salon. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like he was pitching in the correctional league like Ricky Vaughn before he showed up. Oh, man. If you have good hair, there are different types of hair, whatever your lettuce choices might be. And guys will get very proud of it. Um, Kevin Pilar once gave me all of his different hair care tips because, as he said, you never knew when your baseball cap might fly off and people might see what you're working with. you got to make sure that the hair is ready. By the way, speaking about bare heads, Josh Soleil was a minor leaguer in Tampa Bay system. And he, I'll never forget this, would step into the batter's box holding his batting helmet in his hand. And that way everybody could get a good look at him. And when he put the batting helmet on in between every single pitch, then he was ready to hit. I, rem- I remember somebody, it was in the in the 90s. I cannot remember who it was. As soon as they would get on base, that, that helmet was coming off. And they were flipping their hair. I uh, might have been it might have been later than that. It might have been like Jason Worth or somebody always had their helmet off because they had some they had some nice locks that they would, you know, kind of do the the shampoo commercial, shake the head just once they get it out of the helmet. Well, the flip, the hair flip that Worth or any guy with long hair can do. The Lugnuts one year loved that flip so much that after every home run, a guy would come back to the dugout, somebody would take his helmet off and he'd jog his head up he'd jerk his head up as if he was flipping his hair <laughs> nobody's hair was long enough for the <laughs> mark's got a good flip i uh, i take pride in my uh, ridiculously long hair and <laughs> jeff asks a lot of questions about hair because he, i don't have he, any he yeah. has is as, as my dad would say it's wavy hair it's waving goodbye yeah. <laughs> jesse i have got if you want to before we get into wax packs heroes I put together a little Midwest League mascot quiz, if you're up for it. Okay, I'm ready. All right, I'm going to give you the nickname of the mascot, and let's see if you can tell me what team they play play for, what team they uh, are employed by. How about that? I'm ready. And some of these have, uh, they have multiple personalities or names, apparently. But the first one is going to be Heater. Heater is one of the Dayton Dragons. There you go. Very nice. 
one of, so they have multiple dragons. They also have Jem. They've got a boy dragon and a girl dragon. Oh, good. Equal opportunity. All right. Next is Skippy. Uh, let's say Lake County Captains. Very, very good. It sounds like you were taking a stab there, but yeah, 100%. What kind of a creature is Skippy? I think he's related to the Cleveland Indians mascot. I think he looks like a big Sesame Street Muppet. <laughs> wow. All right. This one, I love this one, Mr. Shucks. That's the Cedar Rapids Colonels. Very good. I can get can mark that out of my nightmares. I can guess that one. All right. This one, Fang. That's the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Look at you are batting one thousand so far. And the last one, my favorite one, Snappy D Turtle. <laughs> Beloit Snappers and their hashtag is O Snap. <laughs> well absolutely that's 100 percent correct five for five very nice you mentioned fang do you know about gnaf fang gnaf okay so, again we, these are words that i've got to look up in, no, in the baseball Wisconsin, fang backwards, right? mascot has an evil alter ego oh you just know gnaf. not to cross him <laughs> so <laughs> fangs out you let him basically do whatever yeah, imagine a timber rattler plus an evil mustache. In our ballpark at Cooley Law School Stadium in Lansing, the alleyways are spacious and the center field wall is high. So Fred McGriff showed up one day to help out all of our hitters. He's taking batting practice and he kept on trying to drive it to the right center power alley and he couldn't hit it out. And after <laughs> all, he gave up and he said to all our young hitters, it gets easier as you go upward. <laughs> <laughs> now, I saw in, in, in Cooley Law School Stadium, you've got like a Sky Dome situation going on in left field. You've got apartments there. Yeah, it's really nice. People can live directly above and, and just beyond the center field wall. So we would see, let's take a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or whoever our players are each year who want to live in those apartments. You would see them walking across the field before and after every single game, like they're walking home from school. It's a great commute. No doubt. No traffic. No traffic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that we have gotten in our, uh, our uh, Vladimir Guerrero living in the minor league story, that tells me that it's time for everybody's favorite segment. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull the Wax Pack Heroes. Jesse, this is the part of the show where we uh, open up a wax pack from the junk wax era, and we just Want to see how much uh, how much each of these packs are worth? We also like to, if we can remember the players, tell some stories, throw some nicknames out there, anything we remember about these players. We uh, scored this on uh, using a May 1992 Beckett baseball card weekly or monthly. Uh, that way, these the cards cover. these cards have some. Oh, it's uh, Steve Avery's on the cover. All right. Uh, that way, these cards have some value. We used a we used a, a 2019 to start out with and. There was not a whole lot of value happening there. Uh, we do have a couple of extra rules. Uh, we will give you an extra point if the player is sporting a mustache, as a lot of them did at this point. Uh, if they are wearing real stirrups that we can see, you get an extra cent there. If they are wearing the dreaded two-in-one fake stirrups, you minus a point because that's just not cool. No. 
And if they're a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. So last week, Brad Belukjan, the the author of the Wax Pack book, jumped, rocketed atop our leaderboard. He brought his own pack of 86 tops and ended up with a dollar eight. Uh, as I was telling you beforehand, I have a brand new, I got a brand new shipment of wax packs here. And you have elected to go with the 87 Fleer, which is a, in 1992 was a highly valued pack. And there are some big money cards here that will blow everybody out of the water should you pull one. So this Let is it ride. this is very exciting, and I Flair, if you remember, did not stick gum in here. They had puzzle pieces, so that's also a bonus. Which were way too chewy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so we're going to start off here. We got a sticker. It's a good, pretty good sticker. It's a full size sticker. Sometimes they'll give you four smaller ones. Here's the Minnesota Twins. Um, and on the I back, don't know about anybody else, but my baseball card binders. I took those stickers and the stickers covered the front of my oh, binder. Yeah, I, I had those white boxes that you would put like, you know, your whole set in. And they are I'm staring at them because I just dug them out and they are littered with these stickers all over. them. All right. So here we're going to get into your proper pack. First, <laughs> we're going to start off with somebody that I do not remember. Uh, he is pitching for the Montreal Expos, though, a right hander, Jay Tibbs. I think later on he pitched for the Baltimore Orioles, which is how I remember him. But at the very least, you get to look at those beautiful Expos jerseys. Yeah, this was definitely taken during spring training because he's wearing a, a red pullover. But the good news for you, the, the card is not worth anything, but he is wearing real stirrups. So right out of the, the gate there, you've got one cent. You know, you know how Beckett lists all the cards that you need to actually think about and then they put here's all the cards that you don't need to think about and how much they uh, are worth and there's jay tibbs right in that category yeah, they, they've got <laughs> commons listed as being one cent here so that's we, we just go with the uh we'll just go with the stirrups there okay next we've got ken schramm <laughs> a pitcher for the cleveland indians he sounds like a one setter uh, I am going to guess you are 100% correct, but the good thing is he's got that mustache. Uh-huh. Can't, can't see. It's just a, a shot from the shoulders up at old Cleveland Stadium, so we can't see about stirrups. I'm looking up Ken Trump right now. In 1986, he was an all-star. Wow. Huh. For the Indians, 14-7. and seven. And then 1987 was his last year in the major leagues. So, you know, shooting star. <laughs> well, there's a scouting report on the back of this where it lists uh, it lists seven different, six different pitches. Apparently, he had five pitches and they were all rated good. He did not have a <laughs> screwball, though. So, Well, did he throw a knuckler? Uh, that is not one of the ones listed. I guess it just didn't happen common enough. <laughs> All right. Finally, at least somebody I've heard of, uh, Vance Law. Yeah. All and, right. So I'm going to say Vance Law is a five center. Ooh, that, I, I think that might be a little high. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's see. Card number 323. It is a common, but Vance Law has got that sweet, sweet 80s mustache. Um, well, I've, I've thought about adding an extra cent if they're wearing those big like science teacher glasses 
you know, prescription glasses that take up half your face. He's got those, but, (laughs) uh, so that is just one cent. I know him because he is from Utah and I grew up in Utah and he and Bruce Hurst were really the only two players. And Corey Snyder went to BYU. Those were like the, the three guys I knew from Utah. Uh, you got a lot of pitchers. Next, we've got Joe Johnson from the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, with a name like Joe Johnson, there's obviously only one of those guys in the world. You know? <laughs> I was about to say, he's got a pretty good jump shot, too. <laughs> yeah, I did. I have no recollection of him, but he is sporting real stirrups and he has got a real thick mustache. So there's right. a two center right there. All regardless, right. regardless of his career, no matter what happened, he was a two center. At Wax Packs Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we've got uh, a pitcher, another pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, Ed Olwine. I would say he sounds like another one center he for is Ed. 100%, and he is clean shaven, and it's only from the shoulders up. And now, he, as a member of the Atlanta Braves, the Braves were terrible. Yes, they were. Yes. <laughs> this was probably the time when Dale Murphy was about the only thing they had going for them in 87. Yeah. If you're pitching for the Braves at this point, they're just pulling up any everybody from the minor leagues that they can until Smoltz and Glavin and Avery are ready. This was the Zane Smith era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So here's your first kind of big name. I'll give you his nickname. It should be a giveaway. Bedrock. Steve Bedrosian. Absolutely. Nice. And his son now pitches for the Angels, also named nicknamed Cameron. Bedrock. Yep, Cam. Mm-hmm. Boy, how good is Steve's beard in that photo? Yeah, it's uh, surprisingly enough, very thick. One of the best. I'm, I'm a little surprised, though. The card is considered a common, though. But uh, that is worth one cent, though, because of the mustache. Uh, he, he was one of those guys... I think that relievers hit a certain point, what, in the 90s and the early 2000s where relievers were highly respected. Bedrosian was a good reliever at a time that relievers were not respected. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, next, now you like uh, you like uh, Alan Trammell. You mentioned Lou Whitaker, the, kind of the middle infielder guys. This guy played a lot of second base for the Kansas City Royals, Frank, Frank White. White. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see if Beckett disrespects him. Oh, they're they're going to. Any Royal fan would say that Frank White is at least a twenty-five setter. Yeah, I know Frank White is revered by uh, by Royals fans, but is this is common according to Beckett's? I think that's very much the the bias against Kansas City. Mm -hmm. At, At this point, he was thirteen years into his career too. All with the Royals at this point. Um, I mean, he, he's getting down to the very end, and he's still probably winning gold gloves. Yeah, I, re- I remember him. And he's got a, a nice jerry curl going on, too. Uh, the Royals he, in the 70s and the 80s, and then they recaptured glory very briefly recently. But boy, was Kansas City a great baseball town. Yeah, it was, I remember, I mean, when the, when the Royals played the Cardinals... What, that was in 85 in the World Series, correct? Right. That was crazy how, uh, how everybody went nuts for that. Yeah. Uh, he does have a mustache, though, so you do get one cent on that card. All right. Next we get, I guess this guy's kind of more infamous now than, uh, than 
revered or or popular or even liked, but Wally Backman for the New York (laughs) Mets. Have you ever seen the YouTube documentary of Wally Backman? What was he with South Georgia? I don't believe I have. Okay. Both of you recommended look this up on YouTube. Find it. I think the South Georgia Peanuts, whatever team it was with in the South Georgia Independent League, this is so worth your time. <laughs> I will do that. Speaking of of YouTube uh, things that you should watch, did have you seen the the, the team produced it uh, about Jeff Francoeur when he was with the El Paso Chihuahuas? Yes. And a teammate uh, pretended for the entire season that he was, was it deaf? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that is a great piece of <laughs> storytelling there. <laughs> it was well put together. It was well executed. And I think that Jeff Francoeur, who at one point developed a terrible rap, right? Because he was a, a very bad free swinger. And so he would never capture his true major league potential as a good hitter who could not draw a walk. So he was overvalued by his teams. Um, that redeemed him as a guy because everyone realized Jeff Francoeur is a really great dude. Yeah. Here in Oakland, they love him. He would, they would just, the, the, the uh, guys out in right field would just razz him the entire game, but he played along. He at one point ordered pizzas and had them delivered uh, to them up there. And at one point went out and tailgated with them out in the parking lot before the game. We had that in the Midwest league. And I remember when it happened thinking this is a Jeff Rancor moment. It was a thirsty (laughs) Thursday. Uh, We were taking on the Kane County Cougars and the fans out beyond the left field wall were merciless. When suddenly, here comes this tall guy walking up to them wearing a King County bullpen jacket. And he said, hey, the left fielder said if you cheer for him the rest of the game, drinks are on him. And the guy (laughs) dropped cash into the hands of the fans and he said, he's got you covered. And the left fielder gave him the wave. And for the rest of the game on the road, (laughs) our left field fans loved the King County left fielder. (laughs) He must have been a high draft pick if he could do that in the the minor leagues to be able to drop cash like that. I don't even remember who this guy was, but he was a legend. (laughs) All right. So Wally Backman is a common uh, you know what? I'm going to give you two cents. I, he's got a mustache. You can't see his stirrups, but the picture ends kind of midway down his his shin. And I can see that arch that 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 telltale arch that he is wearing real stirrups underneath his pants. Naturally, he was the poor man's Lenny Dykstra. There you go. <laughs> Another infamous uh, former Met at this point. I, I guess from that like 86 team, it's hard to not call anybody infamous that was on that team. But yeah. Well, if you've read any of the stories about Kevin Elster or about Kevin Mitchell or Doc Gooden or Daryl Strawberry, mm-hmm. whoa. but Wally Backman and Carlos Beltran hold the record for shortest tenures for a manager, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And both with the Mets. <laughs> Backman was in the Mets minor league team, wasn't he? Or was that somebody uh, yeah. else? Uh, who was it? Was Backman with the Mets or the Arizona Diamondbacks? Whichever major league team hired him as their manager and then reversed course. Yeah, because he got in some trouble off the field. Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but yeah, it's a, it's a Mets thing. <laughs> uh, so next we've got pitcher for the White Sox, Bill Dolly. 
D-A-W-L-E-Y. I'm going to guess I know where that one's going. Yes. That's a one center. Yes, absolutely. And no mustache. Uh, he is wearing a warm-up jacket, though, which is not something you see a lot. Um, but uh, he apparently came up with the Astros. And, and uh, look at the stats with the Astros. He was an all-star his very first year in the major leagues. And then his next year, 60 relief appearances and a 193 ERA. Boy, they must have thought that they had something with him. He's in his mid-20s, so there's no illusion that his prime is going to last long. And then suddenly his career took a turn after the Astros, the White Sox, the Cardinals. And then then it was done. He was a He was a reliever for five years where he gave a lot of time out of the bullpen. And that was it for him. Now, if he would have been a lefty, though, he would he might still be playing today. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Big dude, too. It's 6'5", 235. All right. So that is not worth anything. Next is, uh, we've talked about this guy. This guy was an underrated guy, underrated power guy for the Cincinnati Reds, Cal Daniels. I love Cal Daniels. Is he wearing his glasses? Oh, yeah. Those are some, they look like the, the transition lenses. They're not small. But yeah, he's he's ready to grip and rip in, in BP right here. He's standing outside the cage. You know, the shame of it was he was so good with the Reds. And then when the Reds won the World Series, he was playing for the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him with the Dodgers. This is good news for you. That is a 15-cent card right there. Well, all right. Respect. Cal Daniels. Very nice. That is your big money card thus far. Let's see. So you are at 24 cents right now. <laughs> this is you're not going to retire on this pack, but it's <laughs> uh, next. We've got outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, Kurt Ford. Not to be confused with Kurt Flood. I, yeah, I, I looked at that and I immediately thought Kurt Flood. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Ford uh, looks like he's kind of a utility outfielder. He's got some good speed, but I don't know that that's going to help him in Beckett. No, this is going to bring us up to 25 cents. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's not because it's, it's not worth anything and he's not does not have a mustache and I can't see. Oh, well, yeah. sorry, Kurt. It's not going to happen. Yeah, but this next one is going to help you out. Uh, you've got your first Hall of Famer. All right. Um, maybe one of those Hall of Famers that might not really <laughs> deserve to be um, among is the, the Hall. Right? Is it who? Jim Rice? No. Thank you for saying that, though. That's exactly where I was going. That's funny. (laughs) Is it Harold Baines? It is not. It is the third of the group of players that kind of get questioned as to he's he's a pitcher. If I give you the team, it's going to be a dead giveaway. Uh, He is a broadcaster now. There you go. Exactly. Jack Morris. I know my guys who shouldn't be in Cooperstown. (laughs) (laughs) So that card is worth 20 cents, according to Beckett. He's got uh, a mustache and he's a Hall of Famer. So that is a 26 cent card. That's beautiful. That bumps you up to 50 cents right there. That that more than doubled your score with one card. Here's my favorite Jack Morris trivia question. Greatest game he ever pitched is one of the greatest games anybody's ever pitched, right? 91 Game 7 World Series. Mm Mm-hmm. So the very next World Series, 1992, Game One, who was on the mound for the American League? Jack was Jack Morris pitching for the Blue Jays. Jack Morris started Game One for the Toronto Blue Jays the very next year. I didn't remember that. Wow, Jack Morris, that's a good card. 
Yeah, oh yeah. All right. Next, we 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 go from a Hall of Fame pitcher to Ted Power, the Cincinnati <laughs> Reds. No offense, Ted, but isn't Ted uh, like a motivational speaker or something? <laughs> Ted Power. I think he's one of those guys that goes around and is a motivational speaker and, and tears phone books. Oh yeah, that's it, Ted Power. And Ben's rebarb with his bare hands. Does he call them TED Talks? <laughs> he did, but then he didn't trademark it, and then he lost out. So, ah. but uh, now you know what? I think Ted Power might be coaching somewhere. I seem to remember seeing his name on some kind of uh, as a pitching coach somewhere. But uh, that card is not worth anything. He does not have a mustache. Sorry, uh, Ted. Next, we've got George Frazier for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, George's got a nice mustache. Uh, this is taken during batting practice at Fenway Park because there is the green monster there in the background, which makes this card cooler right off the beginning. What I remember about George Frazier was he was part of the New York Yankees losing the 81 World Series because he was so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, the way he wants it. to be remembered. <laughs> Let me give you the stats in the World Series, right? He's a reliever. He appeared in three games in the World Series. He lost all three of them. Wow. But look at his numbers from the regular season. So that he was a rookie in 81. He appeared in in uh, 16 games. He pitched 28 innings. And his ERA was 1.61 with seven, oh, 17 strikeouts, but 11 walks. Yeah. So, and yeah. In the end, in the postseason, his command really deserted him. Yeah. Might have been too big of a stage for a rookie at that point. It happens. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that is uh, one cent there for the mustache. Next, we've got, I remember this guy, Dave Anderson, infielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Those were some fun Dodgers teams. Like we're, we're going through the great teams of the 1980s with the Royals and the Tigers and now onward to Tommy Lasorda's crew. Yeah. So he, he had Steve Sachs, Pedro Guerrero. Um, well, was Brett Butler on the team in center field at that point? I don't know. Brett Butler was with the Indians the at one point. Braves and, and the I know the Dodgers. Yeah. yeah, not sure if that was around that time, but that is uh, that's a nice card to look at. But that's about it. No, no value on that one. I think it was Steve Sachs at the time who Tommy Lasorda asked him after a game. He's like, what is everybody thinking out there? What are you been thinking? And he says it to Sachs and Sachs says, I got two things I'm thinking. And Lasorda goes, okay, what are they? And he goes, first, please don't hit it to me. And the entire room's cracking up. And he goes, okay, what's the second thing? And he goes, I don't want him to hit it to Guerrero either. <laughs> oh, that's good. I, yeah, I think uh, Alfredo Griffin might have been at shortstop at yeah, that I think point. You're right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mike Sosha, the catcher. Oh, yes. Mike, I think Mike Marshall was on first base. Or, Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And Mickey Hatcher might have been on the Dodgers mm -hmm. at that point. The yeah. hilarious Mickey Hatcher. Yeah, I've got I, two baseball cards of him with that huge oversized, you know, novelty mitt. The giant glove. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so, that, that glove, though, in that pictures, uh, in those pictures, is still smaller than Louis Polonia's glove. <laughs> I oh. knew I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> All right. So you're down to your last two cards here. All this, right. Let's finish strong. This guy I remember because I loved the Padres in 
you know, I love the I love the the taco uniforms, but I love the brown pinstripe uniforms as well. And uh, this guy was an outfielder along with Tony Gwen and Carmelo Martinez was at first, and John Cruck was at first as well. Marvell Wynn. Oh wow, it's a great name, and he put together a nice career there in San Diego, I think. Yeah, now Marvell Wynn, I know, has a son that plays professional soccer in the MLS. That That's is, great knowledge. That's, that's great random. knowledge. I couldn't tell you where, but I know I just heard that randomly, and then I pulled a Marvell Wynn card. Uh, he's got a good mustache, but that is about all that that card is worth. Now, this one will be interesting. You might get a couple of cents off it from Beckett. Uh Second baseman for the New York Yankees, Willie Randolph. I should hope so. With the New York bias, with how well Randolph was regarded, give us at least 15 cents here. I'm going to (laughs) disappoint. And I am disappointed. This is listed as a common. How about that? And I don't know if Fleer grouped. It looks like they grouped people by teams. Because I see right above him, Ricky Henderson, who was on the Yankees at this point, worth a dollar. I've got that. I'm a Ricky Henderson fanatic. I've got that card. Then Tommy John, Don Mattingly, and Dave Winfield. And that's it. Only four Yankees are not commons in this set. Uh, But he does have that mustache. He always had a mustache. Hang on. Tommy John was not a common. But Willie Randolph was? Yeah. With all due respect to Tommy John. People weren't even talking about his surgery at this point, right? Uh, 87? I've got to think he, he'd well, had surgery at that point. Yeah. He, in order to revitalize his career, but it wasn't. Anyway, sorry, Willie Randolph. Yeah, yeah I, I've never heard of Willie Randolph surgery. So <laughs> uh, so that is one cent for the, uh, for the mustache. So that will bring your total to 53 cents. All right. Which is not you know that bad. If it wasn't for Brad last week, that would have put you in third place, but it will put you in fourth place today. You are um, just behind D.B. Firstman, who just uh, published a a great book, Hall of Name. I own their book. It's fantastic. I know. We had a great time doing wax packs with them the just the names and the anagrams and all that kind of stuff that they came up with pulling the cards were was awesome uh and then we've got our friend ben from the diamonds and roses podcast and then brad up top there with that dollar mark which is going to be hard to hard to beat but well, uh, i'm proud to be above a half dollar um again i'm i'm afraid you can't retire on this but uh that was a lot of fun to go through those names with you Back in the day, I could use it to make a couple of phone calls. <laughs> right. I just always called collect. Let, right. let, let somebody else do it. You know, you uh, still do, Jeff. That's really weird of you, by the way. One eight hundred collect. By the way, yes. Uh-huh. Uh One of our one of our great sponsors. Um, so, Jesse, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on with us. Uh, we really did appreciate it. This was a lot of fun, and uh, we really appreciate you sharing your stories with us. Thank you, guys. It's so great to talk baseball. It certainly is. And to to fill these days when that's really all we can do, uh, we really do appreciate it. Do you want to give a shout out where people can find you on social media as well as get a hold of your your books? Sure. You can find me at Jay Goldstrass, J-G-O-L-D-S-T-R-A-S-S. 
and my baseball thesaurus and football thesaurus were published by August Publications. August like the month. So go to August Publications and pick up a baseball thesaurus now in the third edition. Football thesaurus too if you're interested. And I think that folks would really enjoy them. I know I certainly did, and they've been very helpful. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, uh, everywhere that uh, you just mentioned. So thank, thank you. you very much. Big thanks to you guys. This was a blast. So, Mark, that was a lot of fun. Uh, some good stories there from Jesse. Uh, I was super excited when uh, when uh, I was able to communicate with him through social media and hear uh, that he was willing to spend some time with us because I knew that it would be just like that. A lot of good stuff. Yeah, he's very good. Great stories and just a nice guy. Hopefully, hopefully we can hear him call some live baseball in the very near future. Yeah, we will let you all know. We certainly will. Also, uh, as I mentioned to him, we will put all of his links uh, to his social media, his books. Everything will be in the show notes as well. Um, you can, uh, if you want to, uh, also follow us on social media. We're there. We are active on both Twitter and Instagram, probably more so Twitter. Uh, you can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. We are happy to talk with you. Uh, we post a lot of stuff about uh, baseball history, odd characters, baseball cards, all that stuff is all right there. Mark, I had so much gosh darn fun today. I think we should probably do a 62nd episode of our show next week. What do you say? I, I That was more fun than a, a barrel of Vikings. Did I get that barrel right? Vikings. Yeah. I think it's, is a barrel of monkeys, I think. Uh, well, bar be. barrel of Vikings would be fun. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah I, it was a great time. Let's do another one. Let's do that. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, every week that you join us. We really appreciate it. Thank you to all our listeners. And we will see you again next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.